This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Todd Willits. I'm joined by EPFR's economist, Cameron Britt. We'll walk you through what our teams were monitoring last week in the data EPFR tracks, as well as what we'll look for in the upcoming week. Cam, good morning. How's your summer wrapping up? Good morning. Um, the uh, kids are off to school, so the, the volume of my summer has uh, dialed down appreciably. Good, good. Uh, so what's the story uh, with in regards to money market funds around the world? I, I think there's really... a, a a narrative that that plays into what's happening globally. Yes, I think so. Um, you know, as as we've mentioned in previous podcasts, uh, money market funds became intensely popular in late February into early April uh, when the uh, sort of pandemic induced uh, sell off occurred. Uh, the ones we track took over, took in well over a trillion dollars in the space of just two months. Um, such a large influx of money, um, you know, is a mixed blessing for those funds. That they have to find uh, investments to put it in that are liquid and hopefully yield something. Um, in the case of two of the complexes who track Europe and Japan, uh, that really hasn't been possible for a while, and their customer base has become somewhat conditioned to actually losing a little, you know, ending up having, getting a little less out than they put in, in return for, you know, relative safety and cash management options. Uh, in the U.S., um, the, the industry has largely managed to give uh, its clients some kind of return. Uh, but with the latest uh, pressure on yields, uh, when you factor in fees, they're struggling not to actually end up charging their customers to park money uh, in the vehicles they offer. Uh, what all so of what, this adds uh, what up downstream to, impact might we actually see if this continues, if, if this fee pressure, uh, con- or, or I'm sorry, if the return pressure continues on these money market funds? Well, I think we're actually already starting to see it. Um, it, it obviously makes it less attractive to um, hold money in cash. Uh, in the U.S., a couple of things. Uh, one uh, is that we're starting to see a pickup again in share buybacks as corporations decide to put some of the money they stockpiled in money market funds to work that way. Um, and in the, in the broader context of what we track, we're starting to see um, money flow into fund groups that we haven't seen in a while uh, as investors look for slightly more profitable places to park their assets. So as is the case with so much of what we look at and what happens globally, um, I know there is a story about a meaningful, potentially a meaningful move back into emerging markets that we're we're tracking, and it seems like there's a China lens to this story. Um, could you tell us a bit more? 
Right. Um, so that that is, you know, I think definitely one of the signs that people are starting to look beyond cash. Um, the, the investor base that we track, it was very slow to return to emerging markets, uh, uh, markets fund groups. Um, but we're now uh, emerging market bond funds have now had uh, eight straight weeks of inflows. Uh, the emerging markets equity funds we track posted consecutive weekly inflows for the first time since January. Um, there are a number of reasons for this. Some of them, the classical ones, uh, you know, the IMF expects that collective <coughs> growth for all the emerging markets this year will be minus 3% versus minus 8% for the developed markets. Uh, the inflation narrative is uh, putting some upward pressure on commodity prices, which is good for uh, a number of the markets we track. Uh, and because uh, investors have stayed away, their, their, their equity and debt uh, still offers certainly some relative value. Um, you mentioned China, and that indeed uh, is kind of... Uh, the oversized tail that frequently wags the dog in this asset class. Um, I think what's significant there is less the investor flows, so they are beginning to pick up again. Uh, but the fact that already this year, the average gem fund that we track has increased their exposure to China uh, by over 6%. Um, that 6% comes at the expense of other countries in there portfolios. Uh, Brazil has seen something like a three and a half percent drop in its average allocation. Uh, and one thing it's doing is, is adding more fuel to a narrative that um, we, uh, we may need to start thinking about uh, a shift in the emerging markets universe between um, sort of fully global and uh, emerging markets ex-China. Interesting. So, so almost carving it out in the same way that I think a lot of uh, investors for so long carved out Japan out of uh, out of the region. Well, yes, and also um, we, you know, we have for a long time tracked global and global ex-U.S. equity and bond funds simply because the U.S. is such a large part uh, right. of the developed right. markets. Speaking of Japan, Cam, how do you expect flows to Japan to be impacted by Shinzo Abe's announcement last week that he was stepping aside? Um, I, I certainly think they will be affected. Um, flows to uh, the Japan equity funds that we track were already beginning to reflect uh, some of the unease that's going to come uh, with the aftermath uh, of him stepping down. <clears throat> Uh, his long tenure in office has uh, allowed us to forget quite how fractious uh, and, and, and frequently changing uh, Japanese politics can be and how hard it had been prior to his arrival uh, for any government to implement a consistent strategy uh, to combat Japan's long, uh, long deflationary slow growth period. Um, and, uh, you know, some, some of the policies he's pursued, um, were not particularly welcomed, uh, by many people in the ruling liberal Democrats. 
Um, the more traditionalist wing has looked askance at his efforts to bring more women into the workforce. Uh, and his talk of uh, fiscal discipline, even though it's been heroically ignored for most of his tenure, uh, is another uh, part of the economic policies he's championed that I suspect will uh, get short shrift with his departure. So this past week, I, I was reading, uh, it, for those of our listeners who follow us on LinkedIn, uh, you'll have seen our Quant's Corner pieces that our team, uh, this week led by um, Stephen Shen, uh, doing a piece on Brexit Redux. Could you tell the listeners a little bit about that piece that Stephen put out this past week? Right. Um well, one of the narratives in Europe, um, which hasn't gotten quite as much attention because uh, in some senses Brexit is old news, whereas the EU pulling together for rescue fund is new news, um, is the fact that you know, the UK is now outside, uh, in a meaningful sense, uh, the embrace of the European Union and its uh, trade regulations and agreements. Uh, and uh, partly because of the COVID pandemic, uh, partly because of uh, the fact it was never going to be as easy as Boris Johnson uh, told the electorate, uh, Britain finds itself um, without substitute agreements in place, the uh, efforts to forge one with the EU uh, are moving very slowly. Um, and obviously, the UK can now have no expectations of tapping into that rescue fund. Uh, and investors have noticed. So um, they are uh, especially on the equity side, have been sort of uh, rotating exposure away from the UK to continental Europe. Um, you know, as we know painfully from last year when it was the uh, Sino-US trade um, issues that uh, would frequently move the needle one way or the other, uh, in the investment landscape, um, until a trade deal is signed, um, sentiment tends to hop all over the place. Uh, and uh, Stephen and actually also Syed Baranyan's piece um, sort of looked at a, a number of simple strategies using our data that <coughs> would allow, uh, allow a, a client to navigate uh, you know, the, the choppy waters that we're expecting uh, into next year until uh, the UK manages to sort of focus on uh, the new trade uh, arrangements uh, and get some of them actually in place. Um, you know, some of these are fairly simple. One is a simple switch strategy based on the relative flows between uh, the dedicated UK equity funds and funds dedicated to the continental uh, European markets. Uh, another strategy which... Uh, has back-tested well, involves um, focusing on fund managers who are more bullish in their allocations towards uh, one side or other of the English channel. So, Kim, what are you and the team going to be looking at, working on, or watching out for this week? Well, um, again, and, and this is a frequent answer to, I give to this question, uh, we are going to be focusing quite a bit on 
sectors. Uh, that seems to be the area where uh, investors are, are expressing the strongest conviction. Uh, and after a sort of a lull, summer lull of several weeks, uh, flows into sector funds uh, picked up appreciably this past week. Uh, the, the story they seem to tell wasn't particularly different from the one we've seen uh, earlier in the year, but um, you know, that is definitely uh, an area in our coverage which uh, sort of sends some of the strongest and earliest signals about the way investors uh, view the post-pandemic landscape. Um, we'll also be uh, focusing in on China. We have uh, over the past year developed a uh, uh, a China share class allocations data set and accompanying uh, China share class flows data set. Um, and uh, we are working on some technical papers to support that. Uh, and uh, as a consequence, also sort of digging into this question, which uh, will affect us and our coverage if it happens, uh, of uh, how to address China's ever-growing footprint in certain fund groups and asset classes. Great. Thanks for your time, Cam, and have a great week. Thank you, Todd. You too. As always, you can find EPFR on LinkedIn and on Twitter at EPFR. To sign up to receive our EPFR daily exchange research we spoke about here, you can visit financialintelligence.informa.com. For questions or to suggest a topic for an upcoming podcast, you can email EPFR Exchange Podcast at informa.com. Mm-hmm.